Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Two minutes past nine. You are tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Radio Marinara is the name of this program. We broadcast about all things wet and salty most weeks of the year. My name's Bron Burton. And I'm Cade Mills. How are you, Cade? I'm awesome. Been back from quite a big break and been away over the summer. Unfortunately, I think like Anth, I went away to the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, did you? Yeah, for a few weeks there. And similar, I heard the discussion last week. Um, I was in the States and the first I heard of the fires was the front cover of the New York Times. And it has been interesting to see that sort of um, press coverage overseas and their concern and consternation at the fact that something like this can happen to a developed country like Australia. It was intriguing to see it from somewhere else. You get that perspective from outside here because, of course, we really mostly get the perspective from our own media. Yeah, and it's sort of reported on quite different because it's sort of how this impacts the world was sort of a lot of the, um, the story the over there as opposed to, I guess, the more localised impacts that we sort of focus on here for community-wise. Mm. So, yeah, but apart from that, I've been able to get out in the surf a little bit, do a few dives and catch up with a few people. It's been fantastic. Nice. Good to be back on air. Excellent. Yes. Great to have you back on air. Yeah. Hey, thanks very much to Tim for Vital Bits. Thank you very much, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Another fantastic show yet again. I wasn't listening Tim's to things to do today. We were yabbering on about something in the green room, but thank you, whoever did that. Whether it was Edith or someone else this week. Well, St Kilda Fest is where I'll be this afternoon, hanging out down there. I did hear that on, on the air. Cash nice. Savage is playing at 2.30, so keep an eye out for me if you're down there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> excellent. I think this Rock Dog has got a bit of a lineup happening at the SB too. 
Oh, really? Maybe that was yesterday. Anyway, yep. good stuff. We don't want to support them, though, do we? Oh, yeah, we do. We do? There's only one day of the year we don't support oh, them. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Today's lineup, very exciting. Shortly, we are going to be speaking with Hilary McNevin, most beloved Hilary McNevin, former Radio Marinara team member. We'll grab her back one day. And she's fist pumping herself in the studio, <laughs> so it's going to be a big one. Uh, Hilary is here in her capacity as a moderator of a wonderful panel conversation. In fact, it's called Conversations. Happening next weekend as part of the Apollo Bay Seafood Festival. Amazing lineup. The whole weekend is going to be spectacular, but on the Sunday in particular, there's this, I think, eight separate themed sessions running from 10 till 3.30, and Hillary's going to tell us all about that. Yeah, they have a great lineup every year. I think it's it's almost one of those things like Meredith or Golden Plains where you should just buy the ticket before you see the lineup because you know it's going to be good. <laughs> oh, I've got another one to plug along those lines shortly, but anyway, we'll, we'll get onto that when the time's right. Um, we are also going to be speaking with Jackie Younger uh, about uh, – we spoke with Jackie last week, um, but this is about a special clean-up event which is taking place next weekend. Um, if you want to hang around on the – um, the east side and not head down to the Apollo Bay Seafood Festival, you can take part in a great clean-up event, which uh, Jackie is going to be telling us all about. That's at Morty Alec Pier. She's also going to be um, talking about a great dive trip, which is planned. We're talking about the fires over Labor Day weekend up to the Sapphire Coast on um, New South Wales, in the south south coast of New South Wales. I have seen a few dive stores and dive organisations sort of saying, well, let's stop our overseas trips and visit some of these areas and get out there. And the diving there is spectacular. I've spent a huge amount of time in the water around there. And um, you know, there's grey nurse sharks in some spots. There's a lot of things to be seen over there. So it's a great idea. It's a really good idea. So they're basing themselves from Marimbula, but diving in various spots along the, the Sapphire Coast. So Jackie can talk to that when we speak with her. Then, in fact, you know what, Kate? We're actually covering a very large number of states today. <laughs> so that was New South Wales. We're then crossing to South Australia to speak with uh, Wilderness Society um, Director for South Australia, Peter Owen. And this is about a federal court challenge, which the Wilderness Society are uh, mounting against uh, not Equinor, but Nopsema's um, endorsement of the environmental management plan for the for Equinor's proposal to drill in the Great Australian Bight. All this happened over our summer break, Cade. I did see that and I did see that they were taking him to court and the amount of support that they have, and particularly from local government, I was really impressed to see that you know, the local government's actually standing behind him in this one. So it'd be great to get an update. It's unfortunate that it's got to this, but um, I think like a lot of people that or groups or organisations that work in campaigning, they never actually lose a campaign. Some just take longer than others is mm. the view that they have. Mm. So let's hope it's the same with this one. So that will be uh, really great to catch up with Peter about that. Um, and you're absolutely right. There's a there's a broad issue here around the 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 value of consultation in a process like this. And this is a really big question that's being raised in terms of consultation. How how valuable is it? How how much does it mean? How uh, willing are people who say they're going to consult actually going to deliver? So. Yeah, looking forward to that conversation. And then Cade. Well, if we have time, I will be talking about a study that popped up on my radar um, about using sound to restore coral reefs. So there's a lot of uh, lot of work being done at the moment on restoration of areas because I think we've realised that as humans we've had quite an impact in these places. And one of the things that I hadn't even thought of is that sound can actually be used to help restore areas. So I won't give too much away, but I'll be discussing some of that pretty soon. And they weren't playing ACDC to help with the restoration for this really? one. No, they weren't. <laughs>
I'm fascinated. But it also helps. I've actually got a word word of the day for you when I get to that as well, right. which is something that we all suffer from. <laughs> Again, I'll just leave Mind you hanging. Mind boggles. It could be anything. <laughs> all right. Um, shall we have a little look at today's weather forecast? And I've got a couple of bits of quick news. Yep. Today's going to be a fantastic day. Top of 26. Humidity is 70%. I think that's a thing we're noticing at the moment is the humidity. We're just not used to it as Victorians. Um, there's a chance of some rain, uh, one to five mils. So don't let that put you off getting out there today. The wind is going to be quite strong. A lot of easterlies. Uh, for the surfers, most people will say there's nowhere to surf in an easterly. But Dr. Surf and I would disagree with you. Mm. Just make sure you have a good look at your map. And you can find spots protected from the easterly winds. And there'll be a nice little easterly wind swell from all that stuff yesterday. But for the rest of the week, we've got 26 degrees. It's actually quite temperate. 25, 23, 28 on Thursday, 29 on Friday and 28 on Saturday. Bit of rain over that time, but not too much potentially. So, you know, we might get a few showers here and there to... um, help keep that humidity levels high and that feeling that we've got right now and for those that are planning on hitting the water or going for a dive today we've got low tide in about half an hour at um, that's at Williamstown sorry so at the heads we've got high tide at lunchtime and then low tide at six o'clock at night so probably a good time to get in the water right after this show (laughs) thanks Kate Pleasure, that's it. Did we, we did the tie times? We did just do the tie times, yes. Um, I wasn't taking any notice. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I was. I wandered off briefly in my head because I was looking at Where what... Where were you? Uh, well, I was actually looking at the details for what I'm about to plug, which is the International Ocean Film Festival, which tours every year. And this one snuck up on us a little bit. It's actually happening this week. Um, and uh, it's incredible. It's. Have you been to it before? I went to it last year. No, there's another film festival that has oceans in the title that I've been to, <laughs> but it's not this one. There are a few of yes. them. Yes. Yeah. So the one, um, this one is is spectacular. Uh, it always is. It's happening, uh, it, this is volume six, so the sixth one of these, arrives in over 40 cities throughout Australia and New Zealand, um, described as the ultimate film event for all who love the sea. And it's basically one evening of a whole collection of short, medium, longer-term films, documentaries, um, and all with an ocean and a, and a sea-themed. So is it a visual radio marinara? Is that what you're telling yeah, me, Bron? Yeah, kind of is. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So um, this week, they will, we've, um, I've already put a link up on our Facebook page, um, I think, or if I haven't, I will. Um, in uh, Victoria, anyway, Bendigo, Geelong, Melbourne, in brackets, Cheltenham, which I'm assuming is... Chadston, um, Melbourne Frankston, Melbourne South Yarra, uh, Sunshine, Juan Turner, so lots of different places, Rosebud, um, and then in Halls Gap as well, and then all around um, Australia you can go and see. Sea Shepherd are going to be hosting the um, the Australian screenings. So films include Chasing the Thunder, which is um, a, a documentary about the uh, illegal fishing trawler Thunder uh, and its operations and what Sea Shepherd did about it. Um, one called Blown Away, which is about a couple of uh, music aficionados who sail the world and start to listen. <laughs> it looks pretty cool. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of them. I won't go through them all, um, but there's something absolutely something there for everyone. So, good stuff. Fantastic. Ocean Film Festival. Now, uh, next weekend, we'll see the Apollo Bay uh, Annual Seafood Festival. It's going to be three days of celebrating Victoria's greatest marine produce, surrounded by a stunning sea view backdrop of the Great Ocean Road region. In addition to some great demonstrations, tastings and live music, on Sunday 16th of February, Hilary McNevin and Richard Cornish host a five-hour series of panel discussion called Conversations. It runs from 10 till 3.30, and uh, in that time, Hilary and Richard will explore hot 
button issues that affect both the uh, ocean and the land, along with a wonderful lineup of panellists. To tell us all about it, we're absolutely thrilled to welcome back to Triple R and to Radio Marinara Conversations host and forever friend of Marinara, Hilary McNevin. Good morning, Hilary. Good morning, Bron. How so, are you? So great to have you back. I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. And yes, we, we do have to get me back on a bit more. There's things to talk about we're discovering. Uh, and There's I've, always things to talk about with the ocean. Right? I didn't realise that you and Kate had not met. Not face-to-face, but as I said, no. we're familiar with each other's yeah, work. Yeah, we, we've admired each other's work from a distance yeah. for a while, it seems. Yeah, yeah it's like, oh, so I it's know nice. that. Oh, you did that. Oh, you're yeah. that person. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, one of those nice chats. Um, yeah. It's been great. Fantastic. Lovely. Yeah. Now, just giving a quick snapshot, but for maybe those who are not familiar with it, can you talk us through the Apollo Bay Seafood Festival? I can. I will. From when I've been involved, which is... To, this is my third, Richard and, and my third Apollo Bay Seafood Festival as co-MCs and we are uh, hosts and MCs for the whole weekend. It is a celebration of the ocean. It's We have a gala dinner on Friday night and what's become a tradition now is we all stand up and toast the ocean. After. Oh, nice. <laughs> I think that's really well, it's, brilliant. Yeah. It's just a lovely anchor, pun intended, for the weekend, sets everyone up for what, why we're there. And um, so there's the gala dinner and Harbour Day on Saturday – and that is from, I think, from about 10 till 9, so 10 a.m. till 9 p.m. And there's bands and wonderful things for kids to climb on fishing trawlers and explore what fishermen do and then, you know, and and catch some fish and, you know, have some fun. And, and then there's beautiful food, lots of local produce and, um, yeah, live music. Also this year on Harbour Day we're going to do some um, – there's – some cooking demonstrations. One in particular I'm excited about is a bycatch barbecue and gets got some chefs and Matthew Evans, who you probably know from Tasmania. Um, he'll, he'll be involved. David Moyle's going to be there, a few other great chefs. And um, so that's Harbour Day. And then on the Sunday, and it's followed the same pattern since we've the, the, the third year we're doing it and it's followed this pattern. And then Sunday is this, well, not even a serious day. It's It gets serious and it can get emotional because we're talking about the ocean and its longevity and its regeneration and its sustainability and it's um we talk to great scientific minds and um passionate chefs and people who are making changes and trailblazers basically so does that give you a a long-winded in a nutshell in a long-winded nutshell no it's excellent it's an excellent summary of what's coming up and we'll go through those themes for the sunday conversations in a minute and and some of the people who are there i wanted to ask you a little bit about saturday's um this off the boats market yes i was reading about it yesterday it sounds like a return to the days when you could just sort of walk down um down to your local pier and go onto a boat and buy fish straight from the deck yes which is an experience that you know i've had as a kid but not for a long time because everything's so regulated now yep and they're doing that again so um because there's lots of crayfish and they need to move it i think that's another conversation we can have another time about what stock is where at the moment but yeah there's a lot they bring down fresh produce they go out fishing that night the night we're at the gala dinner and they bring it into dock the next morning and people can go down and buy off the boat from straight 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 off the boat boat. and i just think that's something wouldn't it be nice if we could do things like that again, for, yeah. you know, even every now and more than just once at a festival a year and things like that, if mm. it became something and more of a conversation and take kids down and get them to pick it as well and pick the seafood for dinner, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's on Saturday morning before the Harbour Day really kicks off. Yeah, great. Okay. I think 
as you said, with that, it is something that a lot of generations have experienced, but there's probably quite a few that haven't experienced. And one of the things you touched on I wanted to ask about was mm. the bycatch barbecue. I think it's fantastic yes. because what often happens is bycatch is that thing that no one wants to talk about with fishing, yes. but this is acknowledging it. And obviously, well, in my mind, you're basically cooking up the species that people aren't aware that they can eat and exactly. things and sort of bringing those ugly critters or they're this and going, well, this is the way that you cook it so that we can eat it and actually get it to market. Am I right with that? Exactly that- right. Yeah. And it's something that, yeah, not a targeted catch, yeah. basically, so yep. well, hence the name. And it's also that wonderful, well, you, as you all know here, that they might not look good, but see, they taste good, these, <laughs> yeah. these little critters. And, and, and that's, you know, the referring back to, you know, French cuisine and bouillabaisse is, insp- mm. is made. It was, that was all a dish, it came, its history is being from a dish of leftovers, leftover fish that no one could sell. So it's this kind of thing of beautiful little fish and, and squid or whatever it is that we have access to that they're going to have a barbecue and so are the chefs just it. put on the spot so they're just going to turn up and there's a bucket of bycatch there for them and oh, think, away they go or are they going to have what's a bit happening, more but, but i think prep. they know it's going to be bycatch and yeah. i think it's going to be a pretty simple grill and there's going to be lots of lemons and maybe some olive oil and oh, be salt and pepper that's what i'm yeah just, be excited to see what they I'm do yeah it sounds <laughs> like um, sounds like an idea for a new netflix kind of reality challenge show yes you know like um instead of master chef no like have you watched have you seen nailed it no. Oh, we'll talk okay. about nailed it. No, nailed it is um, it's a it's a show where people who have zero cooking skills go in and get asked to recreate these extraordinary cakes. That oh, they made. and of course Jane. you can imagine the uh, <laughs> the disasters that follow. Yes. It's hilarious, but um, but there's a bunch of them. And anyway, I was just thinking it sounds like it sounds well, and it's interesting. It's sort of. This is a step further from last year where Jonathan Davey, who's the um, director of Seafood Industry Victoria, he put on, he got a stack of sardines, fresh sardines. Oh, yum. And just put them on a skewer and did grilled them with some lemon, um, olive oil and lemon and salt and gave them away. So everyone was, you know, he just literally, here, fr- try this, try this. This is a sardine. This is what a fresh grilled sardine tastes like. Now, a lot of people know what that tastes like and a lot of people don't. Yeah. So it went gangbusters. So we thought, let's take it to the next step, which is part of the fun of doing something. You know, what do we do next year? So we're going to get a lot of bycatch. And, um, but I, I don't know if it's going to – I don't know what the cost is of people having to buy it or anything like that, so we'll find out that stuff. But Because um, last year it was free sardines, so I'm not sure. I don't want to say, yeah, it's free when it's not. So there's going to be bycatch, though, lots of it. Excellent. Delicious. Now we'll get on to conversations in one sec. I just wanted to put in a plug for Wapengo Oysters and – um, I was I was planning on saying with apologies to our vegetarian and vegan friends, but we've probably kind of gone past that point. It should yeah. happen five minutes yeah. ago. But anyway, yeah, um, Wapengo oysters are the best oysters I've ever eaten um, yep, from the, the New South Wales South Coast. Extraordinarily good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are. And Shane is going to be part of the Sunday Conversations. And Wapengo oysters have a stall on Harbour Day. And he'll be there. Shane is an incredibly intelligent former ambulance officer mm. turned oyster farmer, um, articulate, funny, and so passionate. And he's had some troubles with um, the fires and everything that's happened. But they are the best oysters I've ever tasted too. Mm. No, and that's not that's just a, a, an honest plug. It's not. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we're same. not on commission. Same. <laughs> <laughs> now let's so, let's go straight to conversation. So we sure. mentioned five hours um, and a bunch of themes. How did you decide on the themes for this year? Well, we have a, a, one of the great organisers of the event. Her name's. Liz Waters. She um, basically got everyone together after talking to Richard and I and Bill and a few other other people involved. And um, submerged is one of the themes, the main themes of the whole weekend. So we're doing in the morning submerged in the ocean and then in the afternoon submerged in the land because one thing we touched on last year was conversations in the literal, which is that lovely 
yeah, line that. across, you know, where the ocean and the land meet. And, and if the land's unhappy, the ocean's unhappy. They, they feed off each other. And I think we need to really open our mind to that relationship mm. a lot more. So we've emphasised that last year and we're continuing that. So in the morning, so the very first talk of the morning is um, I've taken it the last two years and I, <laughs> I put my hand up to do it again because we talked to um, three local fishermen. And um, so... Marcus Nolly, who is um, who's a rock lobster fisherman, Nick Polgeist, who's third generation Apollo Bay fisherman, and Russell Frost or Frosty. I don't I don't think anyone calls him Russell. Um, is he's also a rock lobster fisherman, and we have a, an update on what's happened in the last year. So last year we touched on seismic testing, and we touched on. Um, you know what the stocks are looking like and it was all looking good so after the fires and everything it's going to be really interesting to get them talking and they love a chat and there'll be lots of updates on just the local community and how the fishing industry is going there. Great and then after that speaking of fires there's some um, land recovery post fires oh and that's with Shane from Wappingo. Yes yeah that's in the, that's in the afternoon there's a, another talk on origin um, labelling of seafood and then there's going back to bycatch the next talk oh sorry Matthew Evans is involved in the label Origin, origin, labelling of seafood. Can't get that out with Jonathan Davey from Seafood Industry. And um, the chef's panel is after that, and that's all about using bycatch. How can chefs utilise that in a commercially viable way in their restaurants? And also about labelling and just the things they want to do to see more sustainable um, seafood on their plates in their restaurants. Then there's an interview after that, after a short break, that I actually did, recorded last Friday with a chap called Bren Smith. Have you heard of anyone heard of him? He's based in New York State and um, Long Island Sound. He is an ocean farmer, a former commercial fisherman who's now an ocean farmer. Ah. And um, 3D farming, he calls it. So if you look at it from the top of the ocean, you can't really see much except a couple of poles. And underneath, he has this basically um, vertical farm of clams, mussels, oysters, and lots of seaweed. He's growing all sorts of seaweed. He's got. He's, if you want to get more info about it, greenwave.org is the group. They've got 4,000 people around the world on their wait list wow. to actually build these farms. It's huh. zero input. It's really fascinating. So I was lucky enough to chat to him. He couldn't get out here. Um, so we, ha- we recorded an interview with him. And then reef restoration. Kate, I'm going to throw this to you because that's a talk at midday with Simon Brennigan, who you've just told me is a great mate of yours. Yeah, and he's actually, I think we've had him in the studio. We've had him chatting about the program, which is basically bringing back shellfish reefs sort of from the brink of extinction. I think around the world, everyone, every city did a good job of killing all the oysters or eating all the oysters that they had at their doorstep. And we're sort of realising that now and actually starting to bring them back. So it's quite an exciting program they're um, embarking upon. They've Mm -hmm. sort of been trialling it and now they're getting... They're putting out some large numbers of areas that they really want to bring these things back into. So it'll mm-hmm. be a very exciting talk. Great. And then we've got Submerged in the Land where we're talking things like soil health and water retention. And the final talk of the day, which is exciting, is um, Richard will be chatting to Bruce Pascoe and his son Jack. And that's all about um, the relationship with country and, and how we as a people, can can help and encourage and support and, and nurture our beautiful land. Extraordinary lineup. It's incredible. It's yeah. breathtaking. And to finish, very quick wrap-up, 4.30 at Sunday, at, away from this so separate, um, is the eel, the story of the eel. Richard oh, Cornish, wow. Max Allen and David Moyle will be talking about a talk they gave. They're actually um, giving their, call it three whitefellas, just sharing their, what they learned, what they were exposed to. It's $35 a ticket, I think, and um, it's only been just added to the lineup recently. It's going to be incredible. Wow. And that's in Apollo Bay as well. Apollo Bay at um, the restaurant La Bimba. 
Fantastic. Yes. Good luck, Hilary. Thank you. We're very excited. It's going to be an amazing festival and, and so many, as you said, so many things to explore. It's not when you sort of hear the term seafood festival, what might spring to mind is just let's go and eat lots of seafood, but it's not that at all. There's, there's, no. there's, it's so much more than that. As endless as the ocean, Tom. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Nice plug. <laughs> it's true, though. There's nice. never-ending stories. Thank you for letting us share the news about it. And uh, more details. People want to get on. Apollobayseafoodfestival.com.au and all the details are there for booking and um, getting tickets before Harbour Day. You can get tickets on the day at Harbour Day, but they recommend booking beforehand. And we'll put a link to that on our Facebook page. Thank you, Bron. Thanks, Hilary. Thanks for having me, Great guys. Great having Thank you back. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Love let's, it. Let's not leave it so long next no, time. No, we won't. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Jackie Younger, <laughs> let's go straight Hello. to you. Good morning. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Is that Kate? I can hear you. It is, Jackie. Yes, how are you? Good, how are you, Kate? Good, we've spoken well, a bit. We but... just haven't caught up in the water for a while, have we? That's exactly, that's exactly right. What's going on out there? We have to change that. Well, today, um, there's almost gale force ex-southeasterly, so I don't think there'll be a lot of diving going on today. <laughs> Not looking too good from here. Probably the Mount Martha Cliffs is about the only option I would choose today to get in the water. So which direction is the wind coming from? Um, it's at east-southeast, so oh, okay. down here. So Black Gary wouldn't be too bad, but the visibility is probably not great there. But it's meant to pick up to gale force. So none of us like strong winds these days, so I just don't want it. But the Mount Martha Cliffs is about the only option. Yeah, what about what about a little gentle dive at, um, at Portsea Pier or Blagari, or are they wiped well, out too? Yeah, look, Portsea Pier, Portsea Pier is a bit of an iffy one because Portsea Pier, if the tide is going out and you've got an easterly, it tends to really mess with the vis. Yeah, right. So it's an, an ebb tide and an easterly is not a good combination for Portsea. Um, you know, you never know till you're there, but that's if I was going today, I probably wouldn't go to Portsea. You just want anything but an easterly. That's why we got you on the phone, Jackie. <laughs> well, I'm not always 100% right, but I've been doing it a long time, so I know where I wouldn't go today. Yeah, that's good. Hey, let's look at next week. Um, amazing yeah. clean-up event at Morty Alec Pier. What's that all about? Yeah, this one's a bit different as well because AJ and myself at DiveQ now have a permit to also collect Northern Pacific Sea Stars. So we're doing a marine debris clean-up, so snorkel or dive, whatever people like to do, and we're also doing invasive species clean-up at the same time, as I tend to see Northern Pacific sea stars there all year round, which is quite unusual because apparently they don't like the warmer water, but I've seen them in the middle of summer at Mordialic, so we're going to do a bit of a collection and a bit of a count and a bit of a report to Earthcare and see what we can... Um, see what we can get out of the water. Really good opportunity to talk to people about it too because there's still this confusion over what is a Northern Pacific sea star and people still get <laughs> oh, them confused absolutely. with, with Cos and yeah. um, And, you know, is that something that you'll be doing as well, really going, this is, this oh, is a Northern look, Pacific sea star, not that one? Definitely. Um, look, I, I tend to tell people to look at the upturn tips. That's the first thing I'll say because the Northern Pacific's have a really big variation of colour. So, you know, they go from purple right through to yellow, but they've always got upturned tips. I don't like to use the arms because if I say five arms, not all sea stars have all their arms yep. at, all, at all times. So, yeah, we're definitely looking at the differences for sure. And there's other there's other sea stars that have five arms as well, but obviously a, a local um, yeah, native I've species. Yeah, a bit of confusion, and that's one of the really that's a really good point because I've had a few reports down here along Mount Martha of people seeing Northern Pacific and it wasn't actually, it was a different sea star. Mm. So it's really important to get that out there and let people know exactly what these sea stars look like. Um, but, yeah, there's a few trouble spots along Mordialic Way, so we're going to see what we can get. 
Fantastic. And let's talk about this Labor Day weekend that you're planning up to the Sapphire Coast. We gave it a bit of yes. a bit of a push at the start of the show. Tell us all about it. It's fantastic. Oh, oh look, we're really excited. Um, we are. Look, it's 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 not a dive to you event as such. It's not a paid event. It's a it's a it's the only thing that you have to pay for is accommodation and diving if you go diving. Um, land lovers, snorkelers, divers, we're all going up to stay at the Sapphire Valley Caravan Park um, in Marimbula, and we are there from the 6th. I think we, we go on the 6th and come back on the 9th. So we basically just want to get as many people from Melbourne up as we can. Um, there's still a lot of accommodation there, Bron, which is a really good indication of the fact that people are not booking. So we thought we might not be at Labor Day weekend. It should be booked out. And there were still four cabins and loads of sites available um, when we when we inquired. So it's really important that people come up and spend their money and have a bit of fun at the same time. So this is a party that you want people to crash, is <laughs> oh, what you're telling me. we want people to crash. Look, we've, and we've also got this cabin and camping option. So obviously people might be on a budget and AJ's taking up the van. So... Obviously, we want to go to the dive shops and get refills, but if that's not possible, we've got we've got the refills with us. So it's just about getting everyone together from the community down here and being really collaborative and all going up there and just showing them that we care. And a lot of people are sort of a little bit hesitant to go up there so early, but we want to get up there and spend the money now. Yep. And um, also, we might be doing a bit of a drive in the weeks coming up just to bring the call out to see if what they need and if we can take stuff up. We've got a few cars going up there. Brilliant. I'll um I'll talk to you um offline too about um about what's happening up in Bermagui. I do know they had a, an enormous dump of rain yesterday, and um, a friend of mine yep. up there said for the first time in you know six weeks they've actually been able to have a day where they could relax and just turn their brains off. So isn't that incredible? Yeah, that's so amazing. Yeah. I mean, look, that brings its own problems, of course, because we have the washing to the the rivers and um, brings its own problems. But just to be able to sit back and know that those Fires and reducing is just awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant. Awesome. Well, um, where can people get more information about your Labor Day trip? Well, Labor Day trip, they can look the best. The best protocol is to go to the Dive to You um, Facebook page or the website. Um, there's some most likely a Facebook page, and just send any queries through there. So it's actually under our Dive Alliance. So it's it's kind of a club, but it's not a club. Okay. <laughs> it's a club without being a club. Um, that's who we're organising it with through but dive to you facebook page any any queries questions about campsites or whatever um send them through there to aj or myself and we'll we'll help anyone out we're so keen to get as many people up there as we can yeah brilliant and is that the best place to go to for information about next week's cleanup as well yeah the events listed on the dive to you the events on our events page i think starts at 10 o'clock but um we're pretty casual with that sometimes people turn up when they're volunteering at all times of the day so we'll be there from 10 um hopefully it breaks in for 10 30 and um we'll take it from there so more Alec Pier. fantastic hey all the best jackie and um oh, thank you we'll stay in touch over the next couple of weeks about oh, about the sapphire coast um trip as oh, well absolutely that'd be great yeah that'd be great Tom. thank you so much no always a pleasure Have a good day, everyone thanks you too <laughs> see you jackie see you, jackie bye, bye for now Jackie Younger there, sensational. Now, through 2019 on Radio Marinara, we covered a campaign called Fight for the Bite. It's a collective effort by many organisations around the Australian coastline actively working to draw attention to the risks of a proposal by Norwegian company Equinor to conduct deep sea drilling in the Great Australian Bight. 
When we went on summer break, the proposal had reached the federal government agency NOPSEMA for environmental approval, and we left 2019 with a decision still to be made. Well, as it turns out, lots has happened since we went on our summer break, including NOPSEMA's granting the environmental approval needed for Equinor's plans to drill in the Bight. To talk about what this approval means and what those in opposition tend to do about it, intend to do about it, we now cross to South Australia to speak with Wilderness Society Director Peter Owen. Good morning, Peter. Welcome to Triple R. Thank you. For our listeners, um, perhaps unfamiliar with the origins of Fight for the Bike campaign and even Equinor's plans to conduct deep sea drilling, can you take us back to where this all began? Well, it began uh, well over five years ago now uh, when BP at the time uh, were pushing for an approval to drill in the Great Australian Bight. Keep in mind, this is, this is a very rough, very remote, uh, incredibly deep location, smack bang in the middle of the Great Australian Bight Marine Park, one of the most significant whale nurseries in the world. So that's a bit of context about the bite. Mm. But uh, yeah, so back, back five years ago or more, BP pushed for approvals. There was, a, there was a huge campaign in opposition, many big environment groups, you know, tourism groups, local governments and the individuals right across southern Australia banded together. We, we started what's called the Great Australian Bight Alliance um, which is what you were referring to there before, which is uh, you know a, a big opposition to what's being proposed here, um, and then took an expedition into Steve Irwin then uh, out to uh, basically showcase what was at stake. Um, then late uh, late in uh, 2017, uh, BP withdrew their application, um, and that was followed by Chevron the year later, um, and then. Uh, Equinor, Statoil, they were called at the time. They changed their name to Equinor uh, a year or so ago with a statement at their AGM saying they were moving away from fossil fuels and into renewables, so work that one out. Uh, they're here pushing to open up potentially one of the great, what the oil industry would say, the great last frontier fossil fuel basins in the world as we're literally on fire here in Australia with huge climate-driven fires. Um, but anyway, so they, they then picked up uh, the, the BP leases there and have pushed on trying to get approval. And unfortunately, literally days before Christmas, um, the Australian oil and gas regulator, Nopsema, slipped through an approval uh, yeah, for their environment plan to drill uh, in the bite, uh, as I guess most people were walking out the door to go on their summer break, which was uh, pretty disappointing. But uh, that's how that's lined up. Um, which is, I, I suppose, meant that uh, over the summer, uh, certainly the, the, the Wilderness Society of South Australia, which is uh, you know one of the groups in the Great Australian Bite Alliance, uh, with, with the support of the alliance, have worked uh, very hard with the Environmental Defenders Office and a, and a team of lawyers to um, pull together an application. We literally had 28 days to lodge lodge an appeal against the approval in the federal court. Uh, so that that happened on January the 15th. Um, and then it was obviously announced uh, only re- recently, of January 22nd, I think we announced that we were going to be taking action in the Federal Court of Australia to challenge the validity of the approval that's been given to Equinor. So that's where it's at right now. Now, to be clear, Equinor is a Norwegian company, isn't it, Peter? Yes, Equinor is two-thirds owned by the Norwegian government. So it's an interesting uh, scenario. It's a little bit different, I suppose, to a lot of, a lot of big corporations where essentially the people of Norway have the majority shareholding and therefore have a very significant influence over the direction of that company. Um, so none of the profits that are going to be made from any of this um, oil or gas exploration and what might come out of it will stay in Australia. That's true, isn't it? 
Well, there may be some some money made from, you know, I guess people involved in the supply chain and the, the process of actually carrying out some of the drilling or if, if some Australians hold shares in Equinor. Um, but, I mean, the majority of the shareholdings in Equinor are, are obviously held in Norway uh, and on the other side of the world. So no, the, any profits made from this are predominantly going to go to the other side of the world, yet it's people of southern Australia that are, are being asked to carry the risk of this project, which as we've seen from the oil spill modelling that uh, the Wilderness Society commissioned a few years ago and then, and then BP finally released before they pulled out and even Equinor was oil spill modelling. Yeah, I mean, the risks associated with this proposal are huge. Yeah, let's talk uh, about the risks yeah. for a minute because that's the main risk here, uh, the main issue here, isn't it? It's about risk and, as you rightly pointed out, modelling goes way beyond the South Australian border and, in fact, it goes way beyond the south coast of Australia. Yeah, I mean, the, the chances of... of oil being found uh, you know right across southern australia is is quite real i mean if there's a blowout in the bite we we uh, are very concerned that there's very little they can do i mean like i said it's very rough it's very remote it's incredibly deep there's nothing out there it's in where they're proposing to drill is in the middle of the great australian bite marine park an area that most australians most people in the world probably assume has been protected from this type of activity um, when you think back to 2010 in the Gulf of Mexico, when BP had that horrific oil spill, that was in the middle of one of the most heavily industrialised places on the planet, with all of the infrastructure you can possibly imagine to shut that spill down, and it, it still took something like three months, and you know, devastated the area. So, the, I mean, the obvious question is, what on earth are they going to do uh, in the Great Australian Bight if something goes wrong here? Um, you know, there was thousands and thousands of boats involved in that Gulf of Mexico spill cleanup. Thousands and thousands of people. Um, you know, there, there's nothing in the Great Australian Bight. This would be a horror story that unfolds in slow motion across our TVs and around the world for months and months and months. And there's, I don't think there's much we would be able to do about it because it would take so long to get in the infrastructure into this part of the world to be able to deal with this, if, if even they could. Mm. Let's have a look at um, about uh, NOPSEMA. So as we mentioned, it, NOPSEMA stands for a National Offshore and Petroleum Safety and Environmental Management Authority. So there's some key words in their title and what they're meant to be doing. Um, they've made this decision and there's a whole lot of issues which have sort of led to the legal challenge that, that you're actually putting forward. Um, and it's Environment Defenders Office who are representing you, is that right? Yes, yep. that's correct. So let's look at some of those issues. And can you tell us a little bit about, um, uh, you know, what what is at the basis of your legal challenge? Well, there's a, there'll be a number of, uh, I guess, heads of argument that we'll be going in on. But, the, I mean, the, the main one is, is the failure uh, of Equinor to carry out what's required under the NOPSEMA regulations for any application like this around formal consultation. Uh, now, they're required to, you know, formally consult with with relevant persons, uh, bodies that, that have a genuine interest in the Great Australian Bight area. Now, they didn't include as part of their formal consultation uh, the environment sector. You know, groups like the Wilderness Society of South Australia that have worked for 20 years to get state and federal marine parks up in the Great Australian Bight, to get wilderness areas proclaimed on the, you know, the adjacent land and all the offshore islands throughout the Great Australian Bight to protect the amazing marine environment that is there. Uh, so they didn't consult with the environment sector in, in, as part of their formal consultation process. They didn't consult with the majority of the traditional owners as part of their formal consultation process. They didn't consult with m most of the uh, local governments, the local councils whose infrastructure 
and 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 will be at risk if there's if there's a blowout here in in, in the Great Australian Bight. Um, so they they failed to engage key sectors of civil Australia, uh, civil society in Australia as part of their formal consultation. And the formal consultation is an iterative process that goes on over months that that where information is fed in to help inform the development of their application. Now none of those groups were involved in that. Um, and so what we're arguing is that they have a very substandard application that's been put before the regulator. The rec- regulators now approve that environment plan, and we, we would argue that that's invalid and unlawful approval because they actually haven't carried out uh, the required formal consultation with, with key relevant persons, key sectors that have an interest in the Great Australian Bight. And, and, and further than that, what, what they've done in what, what NOPSEMA have done in approving this application is set a precedent in Australia where these sectors, the environment sector, traditional owners, local governments whose, whose interests could be affected by these types of activities are not considered relevant persons in terms of the, the consultation required to go into the development of these types of plans into the future. So that, that's an alarming precedent to have set. Uh, particularly uh, given that the, the massive opposition and concern and the risks associated with, with this particular application, but also other applications of its type into the future, potentially, if, if this present precedent uh, is adhered to and allowed to stand. And I also, you mentioned earlier that if, I guess if I was a sceptic, the fact that they released the um, approval a couple of days before Christmas, which I think is called, what, taking out the trash um, in political terms, uh, does sort of make you want query their sort of agenda. But um, with this legal challenge, what's the timeline for this? Like how quickly are you going to have to put all this together and is there things people can do to show their support for this? Yeah, well, it's, it's what's called a judicial review in the federal court. So it's a fairly tight uh, legal process. We had 28 days to file an application from December the 18th, which was obviously a real struggle given that we had to pull that together over summer with very few people around. Um, there's now being a, a directions hearing set for the, the first week in March, uh, at which, which point the, uh, the legal teams of, of uh, involved in, in this in this case will work out how the how the process is going to then then flow from there. But we, we don't don't expect the actual hearing will happen much before mid year, sort of May June July time, I guess. But in in the short term, we're obviously raising as uh, uh, trying to raise as much money as we can so we can put forward the strongest legal team and the strongest legal argument to, to you know try and make the federal court um you know recognize uh, the invalidity of of this decision um so if, if people want to get involved they should uh, have a look at the wilderness society's website there's opportunities to to donate to help help the legal challenge these types of things are not cheap um you know, it's it's potentially going to cost quite a lot of money, and that's not the sort of thing that the you know the community uh, and community groups like the Wilderness Society should should be having to pay for. I mean, you know, we we expect robust decisions to be being made in this country, uh, and the community shouldn't be the ones bearing the cost on all these things. But you know, so be it. That's what we're faced with at the moment. So yeah, if people want to help with the immediate, which is ultimately the the legal challenge of the of the uh, the approval that's currently in place. Um, they can they can make donations to the Wilderness Society and or the Great Australian Bite Alliance, um, and that would be a, a huge help at this point. 
Peter, we're going to stay in touch with you um, over the next few months and particularly as we lead up to those dates, those key dates and milestones in this. And there there are so many issues involved with this at so many different levels um, as you're talking about precedent but also um, even, even just that concept of having, you know, community having to come in and pay for something that really should not be the community's responsibility. And we've seen and heard all this unfold with the bushfires as well. There's much broader issues at play here. But um, we'll put those links to the... Uh, the Great Australian Bite Alliance on our Facebook page and uh, and stay and stay in touch with you over the next few months and follow this one through the year because this is such an important issue. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. It's been great speaking with you and um, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Okay. okay. Bye for now. Peter Owen there, Director of uh, South Australian Wilderness Society. I'm going to do a condensed version of... I guess something I've started last year and looking at sort of being on a radio station, being an audio 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 med, medium, looking at sound, and so looking at sound in the sea. So I'm not going to read the title of this paper. I'll just say it was in Nature Communications because the problem is you give away the whole story when you read the title generally because that's what titles are meant to do. So it involves nine authors from multiple universities and like a lot of great science, what they did is actually quite simple. So they went to Lizard Island in 2017, which is just up on the Great Barrier Reef, uh, a place where a lot of experiments and a lot of research gets done because there's a really cool station there that people can work out of. But they were there in 2017 because it was a place that suffered mass coral bleaching events in the two years previous. So you've got quite a lot of sort of coral that's basically died as a result. They created 33 experimental coral rubble patch reefs. So they made their own coral reefs. And the bit I love about this is that each reef consisted of 701 dead coral, bits of dead coral rubble. So not 702 and not 700. <laughs> it was 700. And one. And one. Two by two metre. They were half a metre sort of tall. And what they did is they assigned them into three treatments. So you got these 33 reefs and each of them had one particular treatment. So one treatment had... This plane, if we can see this up. It's only 10 seconds there. And what you're hearing is the sound of a healthy coral reef. Mm. So what they did is they suspended a, a speaker above the reef and played that sound. Mm. What they did, again, being scientists, and we don't talk about this much, is they had something called a procedural control which is they put a speaker there, but they just didn't play anything. Okay. So it's to basically allow for the fact that that speaker is actually different to an area, which is the third control. So it was a presence rather than actually Exactly. So it was sound. just is that structure actually having a difference. And then the third one, they just had a patch of coral reef and they had nothing there. So their job was, or basically they played the recording each night, and then their job was to survey each of these 10 times over 40 days, so pretty much over six weeks. So you got 33 patches every 10 days. That's a lot of diving. They spend a lot of time there. And basically how they do it is a diver just sits there off the back and counts all the fish and everything sort of coming through. So what they found. So on the reefs where they played that noise, so we're talking dead coral rubble reefs, they had more herbivores, more omnivores, more planktivores, more insectivores, more piscivores. Total abundance of fish was higher. The richness of species was higher. The only interesting one was the diversity. So when you talk diversity, you talk, you're combining the richness, which is the number of different species and the abundances, was higher compared to nothing, but it was actually the same as the one where the speaker was still there. So that's where the procedural control helps you sort of untangle that. 
And basically what it goes to show is that fish are drawn towards sound. Mm. So the sound of a healthy reef and that actual presence of sound actually brings them in it, um, and can help with the restoration of these things a lot earlier. Now, I mentioned the word of the day, and I think I'm running pretty well with time. The word of the day is phonotaxis. Uh-huh. And this is what's going to happen to me today at St Kilda Festival. It's when you move towards a sound that you like. Ah. And that's basically what the fish are doing um, and other experimentation has been done where they've played white noise compared to healthy coral reef and they're actually drawn to the sound of the healthy coral reef so they use that sound to home in too mm. there's a whole lot of other things to untangle here but we don't have time today so i will bring it in again can we do this as part two we are always we talk a, i know we often end up saying we'll do this as part two but we will because this is fascinating it's this amazing is fascinating it? the it's use of sound amazing. because there's so much focus and emphasis on placing things there that are physical yes having noise is actually a positive contributing factor fabulous so there you go that was a quick wrap up and they also talk about smell but geez, i can't even go into that now so <laughs> we'll save that for another Smells time on too. The water. yes yeah cool thanks kate pleasure that was a great one thank you so much kent who has been pushing our buttons today and he's going to be pushing, <laughs> pushing the them buttons, again pushing the buttons and and uh you might catch him on air as well i think Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.